Hey folks, a quick heads up. This next episode is going to be talking about a newspaper soap opera comic strip, but it is also going to deal with bad relationships, age gap relationships, potential death, depression, alcohol, drug use. It's all going to be pretty light and not very well researched because it's a newspaper comic strip, but just, you know, keep a heads up on that one. internet i'm annie i'm kit and i'm mac and this is i will fight you a podcast we've been turning opinion into stone cold facts since 1986 today's fact wilbur weston is the worst man in comics (laughs) (laughs) and he's been winding up for this one for years i have so many opinions about mary worth i barely know anything about mary worth but i do know that wilbur weston is a terrible man I'm going to be talking about Mary Worth today. This is a newspaper soap opera comic strip that I think is pretty much exclusive to the United States. And even then, you kind of have to read newspaper comics for that. Which nobody does. Which nobody does. So don't worry, I'm going to be holding your hand. I have prepared a whole lot of visual references for my co-hosts. Our Patreon will probably also get these. Exactly. These show notes are going to be available on our Patreon on the $5 tier, which is where our show notes usually go. So if you want to check those out, do. Most of my references are from two websites. It is the Comics Curmudgeon and Mary Worth and Me. The Comics Curmudgeon is a blog that has been going on since I think like 2004 or 2003 that is basically just a roundup of newspaper strips, particularly soap opera strips and some commentary every day. It's very funny. I picked it up when I wanted to see other people get mad about For Better or For Worse because I also hate Andy in For Better or For Worse. No, Anthony. Anthony. He's the worst (laughs) character. I hate him so much. It's from Comics Curmudgeon that I know most of my Mary Worth facts. Yeah, I think I actually started reading through the archives when we were living together that year. Yeah, I think you mentioned it to me. And so I started also reading through the archives. Yes, good. And then the other website is Mary Worth and Me, which has been around long enough that it is a blogger website. It is a dot blogger (laughs) dot (laughs) com. And that is very much the same thing, except it is exclusive coverage of Mary Worth rather than like consistent coverage of Mary Worth. That one also is notable for it has every year the worthies where people vote on things like best head in clouds for the year, (laughs) best storyline, best one off character. (laughs) I will at least link to those websites in the show notes. I'm very proud of these show notes. Please look them up later and give us a five dollars for it. I'll use those $5 for good, I swear. (laughs) Mostly to pay Lucas. So, are you guys ready to learn about Mary Worth? Yes, teach us about Mary Worth. As ready as I'll ever be. Cool. So, Mary Worth is a newspaper, soap opera, comic strip that has been around for about 80 years. Oh, God. (laughs) It has been around from 1938 to the present day. Some argue that it may be earlier, depending on whether or not you agree that it is also tied to an earlier comic strip from like 1935 or something called Apple Mary. But King Feature Syndicates, who owns Mary Worth, puts it at 1938. 
It is what is known as a legacy strip, which means that it is a newspaper comic strip with a creative team that changes over the years. You'll get these like with Blondie or Gasoline Alley or some really long ones. A legacy strip is one where people have officially changed hands, not say Garfield, where there's a series of ghost artists and ghost writers that have been working on that thing forever. (laughs) The current writer is a woman named Karen Moy. She's been writing the comic since around May 2004. I picked up this around 2011. And during that time, the strip has had two different artists. And that's mostly in particular because the stuff we'll be covering today, which is about a 10-year period, has both of these different artists in it. The first one is Joe Giella, who took over art duties in 1991, retired from the strip in 2016. Joe Giella has been working in comics since the Golden Age. Notably, he acted as an inker in the Silver Age for lots of DC comics. This dude inked comics about Batman, Green Lantern, and Adam Strange. And also Mary Worth. And Mary Worth. And also Mary Worth. And then the second artist is June Brigman. She took over in 2016, and she's actually a really, like, great artist. Her style just brought a lot of life and Euclidean spaces to the comic, which Giochiello was not great at backgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> is this where that best head in clouds award comes in? That's the one. Okay. <laughs> June Brigman is also someone. She has some newspaper comic creds. She did the art for Brenda Starr for a long time, which is also a long-running newspaper strip. I've never even heard of Brenda Starr somehow. But she's also got some comic book credits, but her biggest claim to fame was that in 1994, she and Louise Simonson co-created Power Pack. What? Yeah. Power Pack? Power Pack. This is the co-creator of Power Pack. And now she's doing Mary Worth? (laughs) Now she's doing Mary Worth. (laughs) Okay. The present setup, as I understand it, is that June does pencils for Mary Worth, and her husband, Roy Richardson, who is also a comic book guy, does inks, colors, and letters, which he also did for Brenda Starr when uh, June was doing that. It's wild the amount of talent that has had its hands on Mary Worth over the years. (laughs) (laughs) And it's Mary Worth, a comic nobody reads. Exactly. Because it largely focuses on old people and their petty little problems. I have a question. Yes. The local library told me I need to read something about a protagonist over 50. Do you think Mary Worth would count? Yes. Not only is Mary Worth's comic over 50, but Mary Worth herself is like, I probably peg her somewhere around like 70s, late 60s. I just need to buy a book of Mary Worth. Good news. There are printed publications, (laughs) some of which include my favorite storyline, Aldomania. Excellent. I will get to that one in a second. What you have to understand, what we're going to be looking at today, is that this is a soap opera strip. And what that means is that in the newspaper comics, you have one strip of panels per day to tell a story. But there's a lot of concessions because you have to assume that maybe somebody missed the day before. Or maybe in the case of Sunday strips, your newspaper doesn't carry the weekday strips and only carries Sundays because that can happen. So the structure of these has to be very, very glacial. It has to fill you in on what happened yesterday, and also slightly advance the plot to tomorrow. And some people will take like, you know, maybe four to five panels to do this. Maryworth does it in two. <laughs> and Sunday strips summarize the entire week in case newspapers don't carry the weekly strips. So it is very rare that a Sunday strip is going to actually advance the plot at all. So everything takes forever. <laughs> so Maryworth herself is the main character. She is a busybody. She lives in Charterstone, a condominium complex in Santa Royale, which is a fake place. Sometimes she's an advice columnist. She is a widow. She used to have 
family, I believe, but that was all retconned. What? Delete the wife. Modification complete. So presently, most of her little problems that Mary doesn't have, other people have, revolve around a small cast of other people that live in the complex. There's Mary, there's a young woman named Toby, and her much older husband, Dr. Ian Cameron, who's an asshole. Ian Cameron, the first lord of the Star League? Maybe? Ian Cameron's also a name of a major character in Battletech lore. I'm very... That really threw me. What is his facial hair like? Because Ian has very bad facial hair. Ian Cameron is mostly depicted having a magnificent beard. Just head getting those two together. Hold on, I just need to make sure that you see this because I don't have any visuals of Ian Cameron's facial <laughs> hair. That's what Dr. Ian Cameron looks like in Mary Worth. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's not Ian Cameron, first Lord of the Star League. <laughs> No, Toby's like his trophy wife. She's clearly like in her early 30s, maybe. She's blonde. She had a plot line once where she had to learn about cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that does raise the question, since this comic moves at a glacial pace, how do they deal with the fact that <laughs> this comic started 80 years ago? Like in terms of timeline, or do they not? It's generally a perpetual present, although sometimes people will age a little bit. Like, one of the characters is a character who started out as, I think, an 18-year-old, and she slowly aged into a college student, like a community college student, and she has stopped there. So generally, everyone just lives in a perpetual present. There's also Dr. Jeff, who is her boyfriend, whom she will never, ever, ever say yes to a marriage proposal from. <laughs> just losing it at Dr. Jeff. There is Dr. Jeff's son, who is a Dr. Jeff Jr., I believe. <laughs> I think I'm wrong on that, but I prefer to live in Dr. Jeff Jr. land, so don't correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong. He gets into perpetual problems where he dates awful women and then treats them terribly. There's Iris and her son Tommy, who has drug storylines. And then there's Wilbur and Dawn. There's Wilbur is, I believe, a divorcee. At some point in the past, his teenage daughter Dawn came to live with him. She was a rebel that has since been smoothed over. Now she's just sort of a happy-go-lucky girl who gets involved in romance plots with much older men all the time. Hooray! Is she the one who had the professor plot? Among many professor plots, yes. Oh my god. And I'm just going to give you a quick idea of some notable storylines here before we really dig into Wilbur Weston. There's some storylines that I can just think of off the top of my head. Mary goes to a baking competition. <laughs> Don has a relationship with an older man. <laughs> Don has another relationship with an older man. Don has a third relationship with an older man. <laughs> Toby learns about cybersecurity. Mary suspects a man in a diner of child trafficking and keeps him there with the wait staff until the cops arrive and the girl is safely returned to her parents. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and Aldomania which is not the actual name of the storyline, but in 2004, Mary Worth was stalked by a man who looked exactly like Captain Kangaroo. Aldo Kelrast. What? <laughs> yeah, his name was Aldo Kelrast, which is an anagram for stalker. Oh, God. Eventually, Mary Worth's friends staged an intervention and told him to stay the hell away from Mary, which is not a very intimidating group, by the way. <laughs> but Aldo was so devastated by this. That he got a bottle of Jack and drove his car off a cliff. What? And died. What? <laughs> and then Mary and her friends all went to Aldo's funeral. What? 
and like congratulated themselves on what good people they are for going to his funeral. Is this like a Margaret Thatcher thing where you show up just to make sure he's really dead? And maybe it's unclear <laughs> why they decided that was a good idea. I love the Aldo storyline. Like, I cannot stress enough that this man looks exactly like Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> and this got to be such a big deal. This was a 2006 storyline. There was coverage in CNN. <laughs> oh, God. Must have been a slow news day for CNN. I guess. Remember back in the halcyon days of yore of like 2006 where every day wasn't a news day? Aww. Those times were cute. There, I have shown you a picture of Aldo Kilrest. <laughs> yes, he did wear that bow tie. This is the stalker everyone was terrified of? Yes, this is Captain Kangaroo, the children's uh, entertainer. Oh my god. <laughs> this is so much. <laughs> All right. So Wilbur Weston himself is the worst. Imagine if George Costanza was crossed with a St. Bernard and had the strange magnetic personality of neither of them. <laughs> Wilbur is a newspaper columnist. Wilbur loves sandwiches. Wilbur will never admit his mistakes. Wilbur is a father who is very uninvolved in his daughter's life. Wilbur somehow keeps going on dates with women. I hate him. <laughs> and now we come to the thesis of the episode. Yes, the thesis, which is also, as I have titled this Google Doc, Wilbur Weston is the Wilbur Worston. <laughs> okay. And we will be starting on page three of 32. Just turning to page three of our notepad here. So our first storyline in which we are going to be talking about exactly how bad Wilbur is was in May 2012, 10 years ago as of this recording. <laughs> also shortly after you started reading this, I guess. Yes. This is when my experience with Wilbur started, and this is all going to come back around. There's a reason I started with this one, I promise. So I am going to try to not, like, drag my feet on this. As I said, these notes are long, but a lot of that's just because I've put in a lot of comic strips. But I'm going to try to make that a relatively seamless experience. But I just feel like if you're going to talk about Wilbur Weston, you need to see his doughy, awful face just for the <laughs> ambiance. <laughs> Ten years ago. We start a storyline where Dawn gets dumped by her boyfriend, Dave, over email. Love it. Dawn immediately sees her boyfriend at the grocery store with his new girlfriend, and then she gets really sad, and then she starts watching Game of Thrones, which was new at the time. <laughs> okay. And then she is so sad, watches Game of Thrones for a full week, and says, over the course of this week, like maybe three or four times, life is brutal. <laughs> Which I guess is just an observation that she makes. While watching Game of Thrones. Because of Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you pull up Game of Thrones and the first thing you definitely think to yourself is life is brutal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So she is just sort of moping around the house. And by the way, you may see in these comics that it looks like she's just wearing like purple sweats. Uh, those aren't sweats. Those are just sort of what she wears normally. Joe Giella, I believe, was the colorist and he... <laughs> Just sort of put people in matching outfits. <laughs> Did not worry about coordinating colors. <laughs> Dawn says life is brutal like three times. Wilbur then takes a leave of absence from work. In order to cheer up his daughter, he asks Mary to take over Ask Wendy for two months because they're going to Europe. <laughs> and Mary is wildly smug about this, by the way. And then we'll get like several, several months of Mary Worth sitting in front of a computer that Joe Giello only halfway knows how to draw. <laughs> 
And so she will make weird little typing fingers, which are the most stiff, stiff poses you will ever see while she answers advice column email, which, by the way, Wilbur is an advice columnist. I want you to keep in mind throughout all of this. (laughs) Why is he an advice columnist? Wilbur gives advice to other people. Oh, God. (laughs) Wilbur will give people advice based on his own life experiences. Oh, my God. But don't worry, like, he's just going to keep handing this column off to Mary for the next decade. Because Mary is a busybody. <laughs> this is her bread and fucking butter. <laughs> they go throughout Europe. They see art. They go on lovely trips. At some point, they go see, you know, David. You know David by Michelangelo? Yeah. yeah. The impossibly tall statue. Don looks at it and a flat voice is like, reminds me of Dave. <laughs> Is she looking directly at the small penis or? One assumes, you know, <laughs> Joe Yellow did not draw David to scale because nobody does because it is so much bigger than you think it is, unlike most <laughs> paintings, which are smaller than you think it is. But given the eye level, she is probably looking directly at the dick. Yes. <laughs> Don mopes across Europe, which, you know, at least feels realistic for an insufferable teen who has just gone through a breakup. And then July 7th. 2012 rolls around, so we've been on this for a couple of months now. And Wilbur and Don are in Italy, and Wilbur suggests that he and Don go on a cruise. So they do. And six days later, on July 13th, they are on the cruise ship, and there is a noise. Bam! An awful, awful noise on the ship. Let me tell you about the Costa Concordia. Oh, no. What? 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 No. Yes. <laughs> are, are they on the Costa Concordia? Maybe. Oh, God. The Costa Concordia, if you don't know, this is 2012 that this strip is running. In January of 2012, earlier that year, the Costa Concordia stuck a rock off the shore of Italy. It was a huge disaster. People died. Oh, my God. The Costa Concordia. All right. So newspaper strips are usually done with a significant lead time. It is rumored that, say, a funky winker bean is done about a year in advance. This one probably has, if that was January and this is now July, probably about six months lead time. Oh, my God. Because this is written in the headlines, folks. Except it's Wilbur and Don Weston on what is definitely not the Costa Concordia. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, the darkly hilarious thing about the Costa Concordia is that at some point during the evacuation, the captain, quote, fell into a lifeboat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just tripped. Yeah, he fell into a lifeboat. You can probably hear my air quotes around this. At which point the Coast Guard captain who had come along to help the Costa Concordia ended up on a phone call with the Costa Concordia's captain and just basically bitched him out for a prolonged period saying, get back on this fucking boat and oversee the fucking evacuation. And you can tell that the other captain really does not want to. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing was just a clusterfuck. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You can look it up on YouTube, this this phone call with like subtitles and oh everything. God. And it is just this possibly drunk, <sighs> cowardly man being berated by an Italian Coast Guard captain. <laughs> Spectacular. Uh, but yeah, like 30 people died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they sure did. And now Don and Wilbur are here. And as they look at people fleeing, desperate to make it off the ship... Wilbur just puts his head in his hands and says, geez, 
life is brutal. <laughs> oh my fucking god. <laughs> it takes a full month for this ship to sink. <laughs> there is a moment in July where Wilbur almost goes overboard. And it is a cruel twist of fate because why didn't he fall overboard? Why couldn't we have just lost him there? Instead, he's going to keep going for 10 more years. But also just, you know, think about Wilbur almost going overboard. <laughs> Put that in your pocket for later. Put it in your pocket for later. Put that in your pocket for later. Eventually, like in August, they finally get rescued by a helicopter and they make the horrific observation that Don's like, you know what's funny? In the dining room tonight, they were playing My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> oh my fucking god. Once they get back, they have dinner with Mary and they relive the whole thing. Oh my god. They're like, it, it was humanity at its worst. And Don's like, it, it was, was brutal. brutal. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. That's where this whole thing starts. <laughs> starts yes <laughs> because what happens at this point is that wilbur gets the idea that he can turn this into money oh no oh my god he goes to his publisher and he's like i can write some sensationalized eyewitness accounts done over a series of weeks about my experience on the not coast of concordia oh god <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and there's like this one panel his editor is like, yeah, that's a great idea. And Wilbur's holding his hands up like, I can see the headlines now. I shouldn't be alive, but I am. <laughs> oh, God, I'm looking at that panel now and I hate it. I am haunted by this image for the next 10 years. He's doing jazz hands. He's doing jazz hands. We need to take a brief sidebar now to talk about Iris. This is one of Wilbur's girlfriends. Wilbur has an on-again, off-again relationship with Iris. She has an adult son named Tommy. I've mentioned them before. Tommy does have drug storylines. He has a long-celebrated storyline in 2004 where he was a drug dealer who smoked weed and got into dealing crystal meth, which all the sensitivity that you would expect from a soap opera comic in 2004. <laughs> Most notably, it has this one panel where Tommy, who has absurdly terrible hair because it's long and Jokiella did not like drawing long hair on men, that's hippies, <laughs> is like, it won't be long before I get my very own place with my very own meth lab. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at this panel now and I feel like it should just be labeled like drug dealer.jpg. <laughs> Keep in mind, I'm pretty sure at this point he lives with his mom. <laughs> and he wants his very own place with his very own meth lab. Like, I, I cannot do anything but read this comic. Like, Tommy in the voice of, like, Eric Raymond from Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> Gumballs, they're a symbol of friendship. Everybody loves them. Oh, God, he kind of has the same face, too. He does. Oh, Eric, you've fallen so far. <laughs> Tommy gets arrested. He goes to jail. In 2006, he finds Jesus in jail. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Iris, who has gone from Charterstone at this point, comes back with Tommy in tow in 2014. So this is a couple years after the I shouldn't be alive, but I am. She and Wilbur officially get back together, which means they basically go and argue over sandwiches on a regular basis. <laughs> Tommy starts to get into alcohol a little, but mostly he has a I am struggling to be on the straight and narrow storyline. And Wilbur's like, 
I just feel like you should maybe kick out your son, the unemployed adult ex-con, because, you know, he can just get a job really easily, right? (laughs) (laughs) The prison industrial complex makes it really easy for ex-convicts to get jobs that pay them enough to afford rent and basic necessities, right? You should just kick them out. (laughs) They spend 10 days having a conversation in a diner about this while eating sandwiches. Oh my god. Iris is really into Wilbur for some reason. She will date him on and off for years. We never hear why. We never understand what she's attracted to about him. She and Mary will talk about how, like, Wilbur's a good man and she should definitely stay with him. Mary will perpetually be Wilbur's cheerleader to the point where you wonder if he has something on her. (laughs) Eventually... Mary gives Tommy a casserole and a come to Jesus talk about redemption. That makes it easy for Tommy to get a job as a janitor <laughs> in a restaurant. Okay. Although, like, we she is interview and the owner of the restaurant is immediately like, we're more like a family here, so maybe mm. that won't work out so well for Tommy. Yeah, if any employer says we're like a family here, you run away. Huge red flag. Real quick side note here. I just want to pay some lip service to this one. The rest of 2014 is taken up by a storyline where Mary Worth meets a young girl whose family is hanging out in a sublet condo in Charterstone for the summer, and the young girl has unexplained visions, and literally there's no medical explanation, she just has visions of angels giving her ominous and true portents about the future, and almost drowns in the pool, but she psychically summons Mary in the middle of the night, who immediately rushes down to the pool, dives in, and saves her. What? (laughs) That's a real plot, and I'm not making any of that up. What? (laughs) I love it! Sometimes this shit just happens in Mary Worth. Sometimes they're psychic little girls. I love it. 2015 is unimportant to this storyline, to this whole thing. 2016, we get a couple of storylines where Don gets involved with another older man. This time, he's a guy named Professor Jones, whose first name is Harlan. Don quickly starts calling him by his first name. And they start doing, like, yoga together and going on runs together. And Don at some point says it's not physical, but it is mental and emotional and, dare I say, spiritual. What? What? (laughs) And she is just going to keep being, like, quote unquote, friends with this guy, with Harlan, for, like, the rest of the strip thus far? Uh, okay. (laughs) Deeply concerning. Wilbur is not involved in the storyline at all. Her dad. Her dad is not involved in the storyline. <laughs> With whom she lives. It's not involved in the storyline where she... Don't worry about it. ...becomes weirdly entwined with a much older man who... Is he one of her professors? Yes. Terrific. <laughs> Perfect. There's a plot line where Tommy throws his back out and immediately gets addicted to Vicodin and then gets fired from the sandwich shop and then Iris gives him a Bible. Okay. <laughs> so he tries the whole religion thing again. You remember how Wilbur was on the coast of Concordia? Yes. Well, in 2016, there were the uh, Kumamoto earthquakes at oh, the beginning no. of the year in Japan. Oh, no. <laughs> The forced 44,000 people to be evacuated, killed 50, injured thousands, and did $5.5 to $7.5 billion of damage. Wilbur's going to go do interviewing for some of the survivors there. Oh, no. I'm sure with all of his usual sensitivity intact. Mm-hmm. What's great is that this is in, like, June. He doesn't return until later that year in November, which is when the Fukushima earthquakes were and the subsequent tsunami. Oh, God. Where more people had problems because of it. No disaster this comic won't exploit. Nope. For Wilbur's sake. Wilbur deserves nothing. Wilbur deserves nothing. So by 2016, we have switched artists. We're now in June Brigman. Mary's style has changed. She's now wearing regular clothes instead of just like 
I don't know, a blouse and a cardigan sometimes. I'm looking at the panels and there's a a sharp contrast in how good this comic looks. (laughs) Yeah, no, it looks great now. She has like a real hairstyle. Right? Like a real believable old lady hairstyle. Before, Mary Worth just kind of had like a little helmet and now it looks like she has hair. (laughs) Wilbur returns in, I'm sorry, that was October 2016. He doesn't tell anyone he's actually home. Mary just noticed that his articles on the earthquake just started to run in the paper and she's like, so did he want me to stop doing the advice column or should I go see him, find out how he is? So she just sort of busybodies herself over there with a casserole. Appropriate. Which is appropriate. That way she can be allowed to come in and then like interrogate him at length. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like an old lady busybody. And say she has to go like 20 times and then four hours later she's taken off her coat. And is still talking. That sounds about right. Mary finds out once she has casseroled her way over to Wilbur's that Wilbur is actually going to be leaving again pretty shortly for 12 months this time. And it's unclear if that's meant to be like in-universe 12 months or like real-time 12 months. But either way, a whole year. And he's like, oh, can you just keep doing the column? And she's like, (laughs) Dara. Wait, this question, when Mary covers this column, is she getting paid or is he still getting paid? You know, considering they never talk about that, I would be willing to believe that Wilbur is still getting paid for all of Mary's work. Just, oh, God. Because it's under the pseudonym Ask Wendy. So unless people write in like, did somebody new start giving advice? Because questions are actually getting answered and it's not <laughs> a long rant about a sandwich. <laughs> So Wilbur, like, eventually gets around to telling his daughter, who is just like, all right, whatevs, have the apartment to myself, bye, (laughs) let me pack your bags. But then he decides to get together with Iris, and this is his girlfriend, by the way, and he's like, oh, I'm taking you out to dinner, I'm back, let's go out to dinner, I'm leaving for an entire year because I have a midlife crisis. (laughs) So we should still date, right? We just want to do a long distance thing? And Iris is like... Hey, a a year is really long, right? And he's like, eh, try looking at it from my perspective. (laughs) It'll go by real quick. And then he's like, well, you're making a really big deal out of this. Do you want to come with me? Yeah, you should totally come with me. This will be great. And Iris is like, I have an ex-con son who is struggling with an addiction to Vicodin and he kind of needs a support network. (laughs) I can't just leave. And Wilbur throws a little fussy baby fit about it. Oh, God. Until Iris is like, why don't we break up instead? And eventually they're like, let's put the relationship on pause for 12 months (laughs) and see where we're at when we get back. And then it's like, there's this incredible like two page strip where Wilbur's in the airport thinking about Iris and he's like I'm sorry Iris this is something I have to do (laughs) and Iris is meanwhile like thinking about Wilbur while she's at home with her son who is struggling with addiction and has like a magazine sized bible this is just a D&D source book sized book that says bible on it (laughs) and she's like I'm sorry Wilbur this is something I have to do and I feel like one of you is more right here yeah And so, like, we have this whole dramatic thing where they kind of break up. And then four days later, Iris, who is taking classes at a local college, runs into a 20-something named Zach. And she is seen as the cougar she is. And now this is where we find out that the new artist can actually draw hot guys. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Zach is 25 years old, which is the exact same age as her son, Tommy. Oof. But here's the thing. Zach is young. He's beefy. He's stupid. (laughs) He's so, so stupid. 
Also, there is a Sunday panel where he cave dones her in the hallway to ask her out. The fuck? Yeah. And I guarantee you this is not something that was actually in the notes. This is June Bregman being like, I know what this needs. <laughs> Iris has this whole storyline where she really enjoys dating this young, hot idiot. But she's like, I'm really old, though. And like, look, I know that one might say that there might be a little bit of a double standard here because Dawn has a lot of relationships with older men. But those are men in positions of power over her, like a doctor at the hospital where she's volunteering, her own professor at the university. Zach and Iris are both students. They're on the same playing field here. And also, Iris deserves to be happy. She was dating Wilbur Weston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, at some point, she goes to Mary and talks about it. And Mary's like, so are you genuinely interested in him? Or is this like a spiteful rebound because you were dating Wilbur? And she's straight up like, why not both? <laughs> Iris deserves this. <laughs> Iris, get you a man who thinks of you as a hot babe cougar. <laughs> he does. He really does. And he's just so stupid. And he really, really likes her a lot. <laughs> we have a couple of things where like, Wilbur is alone on Christmas Eve in like Antarctica or whatever. Who cares? Wilbur writes her some emails that she leaves on red and she is right to do so. <laughs> There's, like, a brief hiccup where Iris and Zach go to the same party where Dawn and her teacher Harlan are. The one that she's got, like, the, the weird, strangely close friendship with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they went dancing together to a party, but it's not physical. <laughs> Harlan's married, isn't he? <laughs> no, that's not the person that Dawn dates who's married. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing comes of that. Dawn sees them there and she's a little miffed and then she and Harlan talk about it on the way home and she's like, yeah, I guess Iris deserves to date people who aren't my dad, but they haven't been separated very long and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Zach is just so stupid. He's so stupid. <laughs> there is a point where Iris and Zach go out for drinks and she's like, here's looking at you, kid. And the utter bafflement on his face that June gives him is he's like, I'm no kid. <laughs> is perfect. This started in November by February, so this is just sort of a three-month storyline. Iris has felt weird enough about the age gap, about like how young Zach's friends are, that she's like, she calls him up and she's like, we need to talk. And he has absolutely no red flags going up. He just shows up like, hey, what's up? What's going on? You're so pretty. <laughs> she's like, Zach, I care a great deal about you. We had some great times together and I don't regret any of it. And he's like, oh, neither do I. <laughs> he's just incapable of seeing what's coming here no and she is so gently trying to tell him that she is breaking up with him to the point where like she's trying to white fang him she's like you belong with your friends you belong with your own kind the youngs can't you see <laughs> oh my god i'm looking at this comic and what i'm seeing is the kiss from that one d-day photo oh shit also, Iris's hair, like, blowing beautifully in the wind. Yes, June Brigman is having so much fun with hair in this one. <laughs> yeah, she finally gets it through Zach's head. She probably had to pull out some charts and diagrams about, how, about <laughs> what breaking up is. Because this is a guy who has probably never been dumped before in his life. Oh, probably. <laughs> and so she's like, all right, we're breaking up. And then he's like, all right, if you say so. One last thing, though. And he dips her and smooches her and, like... All right. Yeah. June Brinkman used that World War II photo with the soldier and the nurse. And we don't want to really get into the issues surrounding that particular reference. 
Let's focus on the fact that he gave her an incredible smooch and she was oh. like, oh, damn. Oh, damn. <laughs> Why did I dump this guy again? What was wrong with me, actually? <laughs> <laughs> and then presumably goes back to dating Wilbur Weston. Yeah, yeah. She starts answering his emails and talking to him. Fuck. Yep. Later in March of that year in 2017, we have a quick storyline where Tommy has more addiction struggles that culminated in him finding work at a grocery store. Iris sees Zach dating around while she's out with her son, who is the same age as Zach. And then she's like, oh, man, I should really start replying to Wilbur's emails because I don't deserve better. Uh, yeah. Quick sidebar, because it is thematically relevant. There's a plot in 2017 where Mary and her friend Toby, the young blonde who's married to Dr. Ian Cameron, go on a cruise together and they end up meddling with a young couple who announce themselves into the strip by saying the Hoosiers are going to be cruisers because I guess they're from Indiana. Yeah! <laughs> that's how people from Indiana talk, right? That is. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly how me and Annie talk. That's exactly how we talk. That's exactly how me and Annie talk. Yeah, all the time. So, like, there's this plot where the husband gets a boner for a woman who works the entertainment on the cruise ship because cruises are nothing but trouble. And, like, I just want everybody to really admire the fact that June Brayman goes all out drawing an evil, sexy seductress. Like, every single panel that this woman is in over the course of this storyline, she is smoldering and probably smoking a cigarette, which, again, as we all know, Smoking cigarettes in real life is not very cool, but smoking cigarettes in a movie is hot as hell. <laughs> in, in these panels you've chosen, this lady has, like, beefy arms, almost. Yeah. And I love it. She's got really well-defined shoulders. Her hair is blowing in the wind. Oh, she's gorgeous. Yeah. At some point, it culminates in the seductress kissing the husband- at night, the wife confronts her during a storm. Ah. The seductress tries to push the wife overboard, but slips and almost plummets over herself. <laughs> but the wife pulls her back up after watching her beg for her life for like two days. <laughs> Why is going overboard on a cruise ship such a recurring thing in this comic? I don't know. Put that in your pocket. <laughs> cruise ships are nothing but trouble, apparently. <sighs> well, they are. There is another plot in July where Dawn gets involved with an older man who is a doctor who is secretly married. Oh, great. Wilbur is a terrible father, by the way. I'm not <laughs> saying that he needs to manage his daughter's relationships, but he has no idea what is ever happening with her at any time and should probably at least, like, ask some open questions. Just check in every once in a while. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. You... Bang any older men lately. <laughs> Are you sure they're married? Are you sure they're single? Can I meet this guy you're seeing? Can I get his name? So we get to October 3rd, 2017, which is when we meet Fabiana. Oh, boy. Because Wilbur Skypes Iris. It's probably still Skyping at this point, because, again, Oof. this comic is also written by and for the olds. And Wilbur tells her, it's been a year. I'm ready to come back home. No, I'm not actually ready to come back home. I'm staying in Colombia, where I met a beautiful woman named Fabiana, <laughs> who's head and shoulders taller than me. <laughs> I mean, good on you, but also she's too good for you. She's way too good for you. Are you ready to salsa me amor? Ugh, with you I am. <laughs> Fabiana is enormous. She is a tall, statuesque beauty. June Brigman has a lot of fun drawing this woman. Iris mopes while she is in class because she has gotten dumped by Wilbur Weston again. <laughs> Wilbur Weston? How does this keep happening? She did this to herself. Why do you keep doing this to yourself? 
Wilbur Weston's wearing a Speedo and I don't care for it. Definitely, we cut to Wilbur and Fabiana in Colombia playing on the beach in Bogota, which doesn't have any beaches, but whatever. <laughs> Where she's in this beautiful bikini. Wilbur is in a Speedo. King Features Syndicate made me look at Wilbur Weston in a Speedo. I will never <laughs> forgive them. <laughs> Wilbur starts doing on-again, off-again salsa lessons with a hot man named Pedro, who Fabiana's like, he is my cousin. Uh-huh. Definitely my cousin. Uh-huh. We cut back to Charterstone in Santa Royale, where at the end of October, Iris reunites with Zach. And guess what? Zach isn't a college student anymore. He has a suit and tie. <laughs> He's respectable. He's a game developer? No. Who owns his own studio? No, 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 no. I don't understand the suit and tie part. No. Yeah, no. The only guys in game development who wear a suit and tie to work are the ones like who either work in the accounting department or they look like freshman business majors. It's no. <laughs> He's wearing a suit and tie. He cut his hair. He shaves slightly more, but he still has all that rugged stubble. And he's immediately like, let me take you out to dinner. And this beautifully stupid man notes that after I developed the Zakix game, I founded my company, the Zakix Studio. It's taken off bigger than I dreamed. He named his <laughs> game in his studio after himself, this incredibly <laughs> stupid man. I love it. You know what? That tracks. <laughs> I love this. Incidentally, the restaurant he takes her out to is the same one where Wilbur took her out to to be like, I'm going to be gone for 12 months. Wait for me. <laughs> and then they just get together and start dating because Iris deserves to be happy. Get railed, Iris. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> she deserves to get railed by the stupid man half her age. Just don't let him ever talk about work at you. <laughs> ever. 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 November 2017. We pretty much jump straight from Iris getting back together with her young hot boyfriend to Wilbur, who is like, Fabiana really wants me to buy her lots of expensive jewelry as a show with my good intentions. This seems fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy with this. This is fine. This is great. November 23rd, which, by the way, is probably like Thanksgiving or the day of in the United States. Wilbur walks in on Fabiana and Pedro, the salsa instructor embracing canoodling it's not very clear <laughs> but wilbur is horrified and it is delicious to me and she's like no we were rehearsing a new dance number and there's this thing where wilbur's like you weren't dancing and i don't believe your cousins <laughs> meanwhile pedro is still trying to salvage this like you want lessons i can give you lessons <laughs> i can give you salsa lessons <laughs> It might also be sex, but Pedro's just going to keep digging. <laughs> Pedro's here. Pedro's invested. Pedro's in the grift. Wilbur, heartbroken, immediately buys a plane ticket and flies back to Charterstone at the beginning of December of 2017. His first thought is to call up Iris to reconnect because obviously he thought she would be free, but she has this truly spectacular line, Wilbur, I can't. I have other plans and his name is Zach. <laughs> I have opened up this comic, and boy, Wilbur's already the worst, but I also hate that these things are fluid, and we can make up, it'll be like it never happened. I get the feeling the first draft of that line is, I have other things to do, and his name is Zach, but then somebody was like, you can't say that in a newspaper comic. <laughs> yeah, 100%. They were like, no, that's too horny. You can't. 
it's too horny. Please just dial it back a little. We know they're boning. And so Wilbur, who has immediately been shot down, is like, but I'm sad. And she's like, too late. I've moved on. And then hangs up on him. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. I need the good for her from Arrested Development. Good for her. Iris deserves to be happy. And so what ends up happening during that next week is that Wilbur spends a week literally crouching in a bush and stalking Iris and Zach outside of her apartment. <laughs> he is crouching in a bush, not even well hidden. They must just be like politely ignoring him. And one of my favorite panels of all time is Wilbur crouching in a bush, glaring intently with this little sneer on his face, thinking, is he a professional or, or into illegal, illegal activities? activities? Oh my God. What does that mean? Is he a professional or is he into illegal activities? What illegal activities? What? I don't know. I've worked at some pretty small game studios where it's like, oh, <laughs> that's that's definitely not legal what you're doing. What is a professional then? <laughs> Can't you be a professional criminal? <laughs> <laughs> Wilbur also does this while looking at Zach's car and says, that's an expensive set of wheels. So Wilbur's lingo is starting to just sort of like go all over the place. <laughs> at some point, Mary has a chat with Wilbur and tries to like talk him down. Listen, maybe you should just let Iris go. She's really happy. Also, like, look at that guy. His dick is probably enormous. <laughs> <laughs> and he's definitely a way less selfish lover than you, Wilbur. Let's be real. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it's probably nothing at all like doing a wet fish that you have just caught at the market. So, like, Wilbur decides that what he's going to do after Mary's advice, is he's going to park his car outside of Iris's apartment? No. And wait to ambush her with roses? No. Like a normal, cool person that you should date. And then December 29th through December 30th, we have three solid days closing out the year on Wilbur's hearts being ripped to shreds because Iris is happy. And I just, I put all three of these days together because it is Wilbur like, I know you love flowers, Iris. He looks out his car window. He sees Iris and Zach kissing. He is aghast. And then they're like, I love you. I love you, too. And then he crushes the roses to his face while he is grimacing as... <laughs> it's like, it's the same kind of expression as like that slow motion where you can see Ralph Wiggum's heart getting broken in two on The Simpsons. This is a thing of beautiful. This is such a good panel that I'm looking at. <laughs> Which one? The surprise or the rose crushing? Both, but especially the rose crushing. <laughs> so Wilbur has another chat with Mary and he decides, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to become a better person. and I'm going to start exercising and I'm going to start acknowledging and focusing on my relationship with my daughter that I have <laughs> who lives with me. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> And no, that lasts for like two months and then he starts drinking because he's forever alone. Oh, my God. Because Dawn goes on an art history trip to Italy with Harlan for three months. Oh, fuck it. Because she is still with this guy. Again with Harlan. She's still with Harlan. Spiritually. Ugh. <laughs> So Wilbur starts feeling sorry for himself, and Mary takes him to Lookout Point, this beautiful cliffside vista with sharp rocks at the bottom of the cliff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's definitely where you take a depressed person. 
Yeah. He's <laughs> like, hey, did you know about this perfect place? Lookout Point? It's secluded? Do not let your friends know about Lookout Point if they are depressed, folks. <laughs> Wilbur, throughout this little storyline, is like he gets a Bluetooth speaker and he starts singing sad songs in the shower. That's a whole, like, we focus on this. This is a plot point. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> yeah. While he's out shopping, Wilbur runs into Iris and Zach who are buying camping supplies for a weekend trip. They're probably going to f*** like rabbits in the middle of the woods. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. There will be no one around for miles. (laughs) (laughs) And Wilbur decides after this, he's going to win Iris back based on how good his newspaper columns are. And then he gets a phone call from his editor. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Unfortunately... Wilbur's columns are not all cancelled everywhere, but they are cancelled in his local paper. His local paper will not carry him anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And you know they must be bad because the local (laughs) papers starve for content. (laughs) It absolutely is. We also have to assume at this point that Wilbur has started doing Ask Wendy again, which must be terrible at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, Ask Wendy really started to suck again. (laughs) For some reason, they keep talking about sandwiches again. (laughs) And like how you can only ever eat sandwiches by yourself because no one else will ever love you as much as sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) So both of Wilbur's columns are dumped from his local paper. So Iris will never see what she's missing because Iris definitely reads the local newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) He gets depressed and he in particular watches Modern Family reruns. (laughs) What? Yeah. Where he decides that Sofia Vergara looks like Fabiana, his ex-girlfriend somehow. What? (laughs) What? She does not, but she is Colombian. So, hey, Wilbur, maybe you should examine some shit about yourself. I'm also looking at this panel and the woman on the TV looks nothing like Sofia Vergara. No, (laughs) absolutely not. At some point, Wilbur starts thinking about, like, Iris and Zack and refers to Zack as Iris's boy toy. And I love that. (laughs) You mean he's not wrong. (laughs) No. But I just love the fact that we have the phrase boy toy in this soap opera comic strip. It's beautiful. In Mary Worth. Skip ahead to May 2018. Mary is like, huh, where's Wilbur? I should probably go check out Lookout Point. <laughs> I have a question about this. The she looks like Fabiana comic. Uh-huh. Are these two panels all that would run in the newspaper for that day? Yeah. Yes. So if someone comes in and checks the comic page on this new newspaper that they've subscribed to, and they mm-hmm. open it up to the comics page, and they just see this completely out of context. <laughs> yeah. It is completely incomprehensible. <laughs> a doughy man sitting in a robe on the couch watching TV that is on Modern Family, and then the second panel is him considering the television where someone who does not look like Sofia Vergara is on television who looks like someone that Wilbur thinks of his, his name Fabiana. <laughs> and that's all you're getting. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow. <laughs> but just imagine if that person kept checking back intermittently and then in May they've come over and then we discover this other panel, which is Wilbur with an empty bottle Sitting at the edge of lookout point with his legs dangling over the edge while Mary talks him down. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Wilbur says several true things like I'm alone, abandoned, rejected, a loser. And then Mary lies to him and says you're loved and respected. (laughs) No one loves and respects you, Wilbur. Mary drives him home and she's, you know, encouraged him to start talking to a therapist, which he does for like one strip. I don't think he ever mentions it again. 
He probably doesn't keep going back because Wilbur is the worst and doesn't make good decisions <laughs> and does not take advice. So instead, Mary's like, all right, my friend's clearly drinking too much. I should take him to a karaoke bar. Yeah. Which is definitely where sober people go. If I'm ever depressed, take me to a karaoke bar. <laughs> Mackenzie, you go to karaoke bars all the time. Yeah. Whether you're currently depressed or not. I know. Take me there just for all the time. I breathe today. Just keep taking Mackenzie to karaoke bars. She'll tell you when to stop. <laughs> yeah, regardless of her mental state, just take Mackenzie to a karaoke bar. <laughs> I like that this sounds like it's on the instruction manual for the care of your Mackenzie. For the care of your Mac, take her to karaoke bars. Troubleshooting. My Mackenzie is happy. Take her to a karaoke bar. <laughs> My Mackenzie seems sad. Take, take her, her to, to a karaoke, karaoke bar. bar. My Mackenzie seems like she's having some gastrointestinal issues. Make sure she takes her lactate, then take her to a karaoke bar. <laughs> Set a tummy timer so she doesn't forget. <laughs> so Wilbur then starts going to karaoke a bunch. His inaugural song for karaoke, by the way, is Thank You for Being a Friend, the theme to Golden Girls. F***ing. <laughs> F***ing. <laughs> he sings it. Poor Mary. I need to see if that's available at my karaoke bar. Let's see. Oh, I'm, it has to be. It has to be. I feel like it's required by law. At this point, we leave Wilbur alone for a while. He's going to crop back up in June of 2019, so about a year later, after we have a few storylines with another woman who lives in Charterstone, who is a single woman named Estelle. Estelle has a plot that involves adopting a cat that Mary Worth got, but had to give up because Dr. Jeff, her boyfriend, is allergic. <laughs> she also has a plot line where she tries online dating, but gets catfished by a guy who looks like Danny DeVito let himself go. <laughs> Every time they show this guy on the page, June Brigman just does like a, I guess her husband, they just do like a green wash over everything. So he's just kind of gross looking. It's beautiful. But eventually Estelle starts doing online dating again and then meets a local guy who turns out to be Wilbur. No! <laughs> Estelle starts dating Wilbur. I think I would prefer getting catfished. <laughs> At least that guy is like, he's clear about what he wants and he just wants your money. Yeah. Estelle and Wilbur start dating, and one of their main dates is that they like, well, first off, Mary runs into them at a sandwich place, which classic Wilbur. Oh, God. But a lot of times they just spend time in Estelle's apartment as she plays piano and they sing songs together. For example, the Pina Colada song. Oh, God. If you like Pina Coladas, the song about two people kind of cheating on each other to check out, like, <laughs> anonymous dating, yeah. but it ends up they answered each other's ads. Yep. I didn't realize you liked pina coladas. Or getting caught <laughs> in the rain. We don't communicate as a couple. And we hate yoga. Yep. And we hate health so, food, too. And we also hate health food. At that point, we bounce back to Dawn. Dawn has another relationship plot, except this time there's a French exchange student named Hugo. She has an incredibly passionate relationship with him. It only stops for a while because Hugo has to go back to France and Dawn is quietly devastated. They decide to do a long distance thing. Wilbur is completely absent from this storyline because he's doing another survivor story trip to Mozambique. I don't know what rip from the headlines thing occurred for this, but there's probably something. Wilbur comes back from Mozambique in October 2019. Estelle reconnects with Wilbur and she's like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> well, that's extremely fair, Estelle. She then makes the mistake of talking to Mary about it. Oh, no. oh God. And Mary is like, you should definitely date Wilbur. He's great. Get to know him. Mary Worth, world's primo Wilbur Weston apologist. <laughs> 
Sophie's advice is very hit or miss. But, like, for whatever reason, she is so interested in getting someone to date Wilbur. <laughs> Why? You remember how Wilbur kind of had some problems with drinking that he refused to, like, acknowledge or do anything about besides, like, walking a bit more? Yes. So, in October of 2019, Wilbur and Iris run into each other at a pharmacy. And they're like, we should double date. I know this great Thai place. No. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't give Wilbur the time of day, Iris. No. Iris, no. She does. And Wilbur is nervous about this, so he pre-games. Great. He pre-games by drinking purple-colored scotch straight from the bottle. Terrific. So he is completely smashed. By the time, like, Estelle picks him up, he is completely smashed. And then he spends a whole entire week being a drunk embarrassment at a Thai restaurant. Terrific. <laughs> There's too many pages for me to just, like, individually post them, but, like, I've got little hyperlinks to many of them there. I just got to the, I have the Tofu Pad Thai sissy food one, and I just want to strangle Wilbur even more. Yeah, Wilbur at some point tries to call Tofu sissy food? Zach, what kind of fucking name is Zach anyway? Wilbur. There are many Grolixes as Wilbur starts cussing. No, Wilbur keeps trying to insult Zach over the course of the dinner, which is a great way to make your ex-girlfriend think that you're a catch. Zach is either too polite or too stupid to understand that Wilbur is attempting to insult him. <laughs> Estelle forcibly stuffs an egg roll in Wilbur's mouth to keep him from insinuating that Zach's mother cheated on his father because he was named after his mother's friend. <laughs> And Zach has this incredibly polite smile the whole time because he has a dumb golden retriever face. <laughs> Zach, you're beautiful. Iris, you deserve Zach. <laughs> this culminates in a Sunday strip where Wilbur tries to talk about The Matrix in an effort to seem young and hip. You know, a movie that came out 20 years before this comic takes place. <laughs> He's like Zach's half my age. I'll show them I'm hip. I'm not some relic. I watched one of my favorite movies the other day, The Matrix, and Zack just politely devastates him by saying, Oh, cool. That was my father's favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the one time that I was talking to a former boss of mine about Charmed, and he was trying to prove that he was, you know, still current by saying like, you know, see, Kent knows about Charmed. I was like, my mom watches that show. <laughs> Which I think dealt 88 psychic damage. Oh, boy. <laughs> but Wilbur's face during this I'm not some relic panel is terrific. It's incredible. Yeah. He's got like this weird little smirk with like his eyebrows arched where he's like, oh, ho, ho, ho. This is like his master stroke. <laughs> and then just Zach just politely and casually devastates him. So Wilbur decides his next tack is to say, I know some of Keanu's moves. Hiya! And karate chops a glass of wine onto Iris's blouse right over her boobs. Yeah, never mind that Keanu's mostly doing kung fu in that movie, not karate. This is absolutely <laughs> a karate chop. Uh. <laughs> Iris and Zach both dab wine off of her shirt. He's like, I got you. No, Iris, I got you. And Estelle just puts her hand on her cheek and just sighs. <laughs> then takes him home where Wilbur collapses on the couch immediately. Oh my god, this next comic. 
This is nightmarish. That night, Estelle has this incredible fever dream sequence that lasts like four or five days where she imagines about what it would be like to be married to Wilbur. And June Brigman, who, by the way, I'm pretty sure she worked on like one of the incredible nightmare horror sequences of New York during the X-Men Inferno storyline where everything got taken over by demons and all the inanimate objects came alive and tried to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it. Jude Brigman comes in with a nightmare about a dozen babies with Wilbur Weston's head boxing each other. (laughs) (laughs) While Estelle stares directly at the camera in numb horror as everything slowly turns red. I feel like there may be uh, a creative disagreement between the writer and the illustrator with regards to whether Wilbur Weston is a character who should be in this comic. (laughs) It is so unclear. I feel like over time, Karen Moy has slowly been like, yeah, maybe Wilbur's the worst, actually. (laughs) I feel like June got there first. (laughs) The next day, Wilbur calls to apologize, but Estelle is not having it and dumps him. Good for you, Estelle. Except Wilbur doesn't take no for an answer. No. No. He spends the next week sending her flowers, standing outside of her apartment with a boombox held over his head, playing the Pina Colada song. No. You know, their song. He does this for two days in a row. Where did he find the boombox? Oh, God. Wilbur has exactly one tactic for winning a woman back. And it is just relentlessly being present until they give in. And so then Estelle at her wit's end makes the worst mistake of her life and she goes to ask Mary what she should do. No! (laughs) And Mary's immediately like, yeah, Wilbur's a good guy. You should give him another chance. And she does. They meet up at a karaoke bar. No. (sighs) Meanwhile, we're going to cut back to Iris real quick. Iris has a storyline where she starts gaining weight, feeling tired and old. She goes to see a doctor and the doctor's like, whatever, you're old and fat. You just like jog or something. And so she gets really sad and insecure and tries to break up with Zach again. And Zach's like, baby, honey. I love you, babe. I love you, babe. Do you want to go talk to my doctor for a second opinion? He's really good. And that doctor discovers she has a thyroid condition. So Zach's like, okay, you just relax. I'm going to pick up your meds for you. If there's anything that's like stressing you out, I can help pick up some of the slack that you need. Here, I went and got dinner for you. I love you. We're going to get this through together. I'm giving you my unwavering support. I'll rail you as hard as you want tonight, babe. (laughs) As hard as you want, whatever you want, including that thing that kind of makes my hips hurt a little. Good job, Iris. Good for you. Iris is doing great. Iris is thriving. (laughs) And that's January 2020. That's the last time we have seen Iris in the comic as of this recording in 2022. Good for you, Iris. Iris is doing great. Her storyline's just resolved. (laughs) Yeah. We can assume that at any time, Iris is just getting plowed by a young stupid man who loves her and is dedicated to her. All people who date Wilbur the Worston should have happy endings, except for Wilbur. Except Wilbur. Yeah. There's also a quick plot line where Dawn's French boyfriend Hugo comes to visit, and then they, like, break up, but amicably. And then Dawn starts dating a dude who is actually her own age that she knows from her job at the hospital. What? Oh, shit. He's also kind of terrible. But, you know, her dad's Wilbur, so she doesn't know a lot about what a good man looks like. (laughs) (laughs) She should go hang out with Iris and Zach. (laughs) 
she should go hang out with Iris and Zach. Zach probably has some young friends that are like maybe, I don't know, two years younger than him. That's probably about <laughs> probably about Don's age. And get one of the junior programmers to start dating her. <laughs> yeah. Then Tommy has a storyline where he gets serious with a girlfriend at the grocery store where he works now. Her father was addicted to drugs and Tommy has a say no to drugs moment where he meets like a guy who he used to know during his meth days. And then he gets a third come to Jesus moment that ends in him taking confession at a Catholic church. Iris isn't really involved in the storyline either, but you know, <laughs> she's busy getting railed. Yeah. <laughs> Good for her, honestly. <laughs> Like, Wilbur is gone from all these people's lives, and they're doing okay. I feel like Tommy and Zach can't be in the same room for very long before both of them are like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, there's occasional, like, montage shots of them, like, going out to dinner together. At some point, one of the things that Zach offers to do for Iris is to, like, do you want me to, like, help out with Tommy more? Do you want me to take him to his, like, to his meetings? <laughs> Zach's so good. <laughs> do you want me to be your son's stepdad? <laughs> We're the same age. We're the same age. Zach's so good. It is clearly indicated that they are the same age. It's beautiful. Oh my god. Iris, good for you. So let's come back to the festering shit stain that is Estelle's relationship with Wilbur. In August 15th, 2021, we start a storyline where Wilbur and Iris are singing songs on the piano again, and Estelle's cat Libby meows loudly while they're playing, and Wilbur loses his entire shit. Wilbur is like, Libby, no howling while I'm singing. Oh, Wilbur, she just wants to be included. Not during my solo. <laughs> it's karaoke. Wilbur turns into a weird, petulant little shit about a kitty cat that screams. There's no stakes. Wilbur, there's no stakes. There's zero <laughs> stakes. You're playing at the piano in the apartment. <laughs> Like, Wilbur yanks up the cat and then throws the cat in another room and locks the door, at which point the cat starts hissing and scratching the door. Because, you know, she's a cat that makes noise. It's a cat. It's a cat. Cats just yell a lot. If you don't want something that scratches under the doors and yells, don't get a cat. So the next day, Wilbur brings over some barbecue takeout and then proceeds to lose his shit again because the cat is sitting in what he has designated his chair because Wilbur is five years old. <laughs> So instead of shooing the cat out, he's like, no, that's my chair, Libby. And then he yells at the cat and the cat hisses at him and the cat is right to hiss. Yes. Good job, Libby. It's a cat. Wilbur, you're bigger than it is. <laughs> it's a kitty cat. It is seven pounds. You can just pick up that cat and move it. I also want to point out that, like, the positioning of this cat at the table is exactly like that meme of the lady who's <laughs> yelling at the restaurant and the second panel is just a cat sitting at a dinner table. I feel like I remember around the time the storyline ran, I did see some people, like, posting edits of that to oh put it up in, in that meme. <laughs> After dinner, Wilbur sits down on what he says is his spot on the couch and discovers the cat is apparently pissed on the couch. Which is a thing that happens. Good for you, Libby. So he's like, oh, my spot is wet. Folks, when a cat pisses somewhere that's not a litter box, what does that mean? You need to clean the litter box. It could mean the cat's sick, or it could mean that the cat is unhappy about something in its environment, say Wilbur Weston. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Generally speaking, a cat has to really, really hate what's happening 
either to themselves or to like their environment to piss somewhere that is not a litter box. Yep. The blogs that I was getting stuff from did not have this one posted. So I had to go and find the Sunday strip here that I posted on my own f***ing Twitter account because this is very important. Wilbur threatens to kill a cat in a Sunday panel. Oh, for f***'s sake. Yeah. Wilbur's like, I'm usually tolerant of animals, but I'm prompted to change my mind. She stole my seat at dinner, then she ruined my spot on the couch, and she hisses at me like she hates me. Stell, your cat is a menace! Wilbur, please try to get along with Libby. Maybe woo her with kindness so you can get back on her good graces. I'd soon her ring her little cat neck! Fuck's sake. Wilbur threatens to kill a cat. By the way, if you're dating a guy and he, like, hates your cat and threatens to kill it, stop dating that guy. Yeah. Do not date someone who threatens violence upon your animals. Yeah. Estelle, to her credit, the next week of story is Estelle taking Wilbur on a walk and like, so you know how in my dating profile I said must love cats? <laughs> That's not really happening here. That's not negotiable. <laughs> and Wilbur definitely says, are you saying I'm intolerant of Libby? <laughs> he definitely threatened to kill the cat. Yeah, what else do you call that, Wilbur? <laughs> and Estelle pushes the issue, and there's this panel, and Lucas... Okay, so so obviously this comic says a series of Grolixes in, <laughs> you know, just little symbols instead of a cuss. Lucas, I'm going to say what the cuss is, and then I... Obviously you're going to believe it, but I need you to believe this. <laughs> and she's like... You and Libby haven't been getting along. You should ask yourself why. And Wilbur pouts and says, It's not my fault your cat is a cunt. <laughs> Lucas, when you bleep that out, could you also, like, just cut out Annie saying the word cunt and put some reverb on it so I can use it as a ringtone? <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It's, like, basically the only word that fits yeah. in there. Yeah, it's not my fault your cat is a bitch. It's not my fault your cat is a dick. Yeah. Your cat is an asshole. That's too many. A that's, motherfucker. That, asshole is too big a word for that amount of Grawlixes. Nope, nope. And he's right. That's the word that goes there. That's the only word. <laughs> Wilbur calls a cat that. <laughs> and then Estella's like, I am dumping you. You threatened to kill my cat. Good for her. <laughs> Good for you, Estelle. <laughs> And the next day, Wilbur just sort of wanders around the park again, has a sulk. He insults the cat some more, says she's worthless. And then, like, some other insulting things that we don't say on this show about Estelle and her fondness for her cat. <laughs> Stan, you are very worthless, to be fair. You're such a worthless boy. And then Wilbur on his walk meets another character named Saul Winters, who has been in a couple of Murray Worth storylines before that. He's a relatively recent character. He looks exactly like the guy from Up. He was a crouchy old man Winters. Yes, that's the whole point of his last name. Until Mary Worth meddled with him until he adopted a wiener dog, which made him a better person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wiener dogs. They make you a better person. Yeah. This this is like the single person's version of having a baby to fix the relationship. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he gets a wiener dog named Greta. They were matching bow ties. Oh my god. Wilbur's like, huh, adopting a wiener dog made him a better person. Maybe a dog can help me get laid. Oh my god. Oh my god. So Wilbur decides that the only thing he could possibly do now is go down to the animal shelter and adopt a French bulldog that he names Pierre because he's f***ing basic like that. 
Also, dude walked into an animal shelter, walked out with a purebred French bulldog. Right? There was just a Frenchie there, a purebred Frenchie, just waiting for Wilbur Weston for like $30. I love that Wilbur is just like, I'll get a dog and become a better person. Why not me? Besides, dogs are chick magnets. This is like when you see those Instagram videos about, oh, I rescued this puppy off the streets. And you're like, that's a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Either you accidentally <laughs> stole someone's dog or you got that dog from a breeder. <laughs> June Brigman clearly knows how to draw French bulldogs and she's a lot of fun drawing French bulldogs. <laughs> so like, this is very clearly a French bulldog. This is an expensive animal. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> expensive animal and he just rolled into an animal shelter and was like oh that one <laughs> yeah the person who worked there was like oh you know french bulldogs are nice and he's like i'll take it and then he's like i'm single for now and he does this incredible wink that i didn't link to but oh wow it was oh it was bad she rolled her eyes in the next panel oh. then wilbur is immediately like all right if you don't get me laid i'll kill you <laughs> not really unless unless <laughs> the literal quote is pierre this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship if not it's curtains for you haha <laughs> just kidding pierre is going to keep giving wilbur side eye like this for like three months i'm sorry pierre because he is not buying any of this shit i'm sorry pierre nobody deserves wilbur but especially not a dog who can't stay no no so this is the end of september Around October, we spend that month, Wilbur, who has adopted an animal for superficial reasons in a fit of pique. Well, it turns out he's utterly unprepared for pet ownership. No. No. I know, it's shocking. <laughs> he eventually, like, takes the dog to a dog park and finds another woman there who has another Frenchie herself named Carol. And she explains basic things like, if you provide toys for your dog to chew on, he will probably not tread your shoes. And... Dogs need food and attention. <laughs> Can I take you to a dog store? They do. And they let the dogs play on the beach later, which it's probably ill-advised, but I don't know. And then Wilbur immediately asks her on a date. And to Carol's credit, her answer is, oh, um. <laughs> <laughs> Such enthusiasm. <laughs> she does say yes. No. And then Wilbur spends this entire date comparing Carol to his ex. Oh, God. Out loud in conversation like, oh, my ex loves karaoke. Do you like karaoke? She's like, no, I, I don't like karaoke. I like dancing. Do you like salsa? And Wilbur's like, <laughs> no, I'm not doing salsa again. Don't ask about it. Don't worry. Important question. What does Wilbur think salsa is at this point? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's anyone's guess. And then during the conversation, Wilbur calls Carol Stell. You know, like Estelle, his ex. Fuck. And Carol, I'm so proud of Carol. She immediately just like packs up her stuff and it's like, all right. <laughs> That's enough for one night. That's, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm dip. Bye. See ya. This is not a good conversation. You're still hung up on your ex, and actually, you're kind of terrible, so bye. Yeah, there's no recovering from this, so I'm going. Mm -mm. And then Wilbur, the next day, looks at a photo of Estelle on his laptop while playing the Pina Colada song. Maybe <laughs> this is his, like, screensaver? Oh, oh my no. god. Is this his lock screen? And he's like, oh, I guess I'm not over my girlfriend. 
So Wilbur brings a peace offering of barbecue takeout over to Estelle's and he brings his dog and then Estelle lets him in and the Frenchie and the cat like are best friends. They get along really, really well. They just play like pals do, (laughs) which I'd love some citations on that one. But, you know, they're not back together yet, but there's at least a peace offering. So we cut to November 2021. So we're closing out on the home stretch, folks, with a week that is one of my favorite weeks in comics. <laughs> Estelle meets a young, hot vet when she takes Libby in for her checkup. And the guy's like, your cat's doing great. Also, you're pretty. Do you want to go out for dinner? Please call me by my first name. <laughs> you deserve this, Estelle. <laughs> Estelle deserves this. I'm sensing a theme here with regards to Wilbur's exes immediately going and getting themselves (laughs) younger, hotter boyfriends. (laughs) And Wilbur is a sad sack about how, like, he and his dog have not instantly bonded, even though he has put absolutely no effort into this. I adopted this dog so it would get me laid. How could this have backfired on me? And so Mary's like, all right, why don't we go out to karaoke? That'll cheer you up. And Estelle's like, hey, let's go out to dinner, young hot vet. I love this karaoke place. Ah, f***. (laughs) November 8th, 2021. Wilbur and Mary and Estelle and the vet are both at the karaoke place, both standing up around the stage. And by the way, this is a karaoke bar that does not have individual rooms. It is one stage for everybody. And they are both next to the stage at tables right next to each other. And Wilbur, who is an adult, is like... Look who I spy with my little eye. My ex on a date with another man. What an attractive individual he is. What follows is an entire week of Estelle and Wilbur singing spiteful karaoke songs at each other. Oh, God. As we cut to Mary Worth becoming increasingly horrified with how her night is proceeding. Oh, God. (laughs) Our first song on Tuesday, Wilbur dedicates to Estelle and he sings Cry Me a River by Justin Timberlake. I have important questions about, like, do you need to pay anyone a licensing fee if you quote an actual real song in a newspaper comic? And if so, how expensive was this week? I feel like it was worth it, though, right? (laughs) It was very worth it. Good job, Annie. Clap. Thank you. On Wednesday, Estelle, who has picked up on the very subtle insinuations that are happening here. Estelle fires back with, we are never, ever getting back together by Taylor Swift. Oh, my God. How do these old people know these songs? On Thursday, Wilbur gets back up on stage immediately after and starts singing at her, somebody that I used to know by Gautier. (laughs) And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't think it matters. They haven't put out any other songs. (laughs) Yeah. And then on Friday is our final song of the week, which is Estelle doing something that is more plausible for her to know, which is, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair, which is from South Pacific, a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. (laughs) So a significant break from the pop songs. (laughs) Again, over the course of the week, Mary just gets more and more horrified. And it is wonderful as Iris and Estelle get more and more pissed at each other. What do you think that's like for everybody else that's come to karaoke? (laughs) <laughs> I think this is maybe a somewhat a percentage of a reason that you would go to a karaoke bar. Uh, there's a chance that you can observe some messy shit like this. <laughs> Wilbur comes by the next day. You'll never believe it with takeout. <sighs> and Estella's like, oh, yeah, the hot vet decided he didn't actually need this. That's fair, <laughs> hot doctor. That's fair. <laughs> He's just like, oh, I'm getting out of here. 
Yeah, he saw the storm on the horizon. He licked his finger, put it to the wind, and decided to leave. <laughs> Good for you, hot doctor. He saw the glow of the prairie fire on the horizon. He was like, I gotta go. <laughs> and then Wilbur, who has also brought over his dog again, Pierre, is like, so my dog isn't getting me laid, and you actually like animals. Do you want to adopt my dog? Jesus. <laughs> and Estelle says yes. This is Lala the second time she's adopted somebody else's animal? <laughs> yes. At least the first one is a plausible thing. The second is Wilbur just, like, adopted a purebred French bulldog and doesn't like it. So Wilbur decides instead what he's going to do is he's not totally giving up here. He's going to the pet store and he buys two fish. Wilbur, please. And a tank. And he names them Willa and Stellan. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Because he's a normal person. Oh, my God. As far as I know, nobody else knows the names of these fish yet, so they haven't had to stage an intervention. <laughs> Mary spends a couple of days making muffins and thinking about how, like, oh, you know, Wilbur's not so bad. Oh, Jesus. Mary. Wilbur's a good guy. He's terrible. After the evening you had? <laughs> <laughs> He's not Mr. Suave. He's more of a diamond in the rough. And although some might say too much rough and not enough diamond, there's someone for everyone. Perhaps Estella's that someone. Mary! She's not. <laughs> What's your deal? Jesus Christ. Do you just like to see Estelle suffer? Is she worried that, like, if Wilbur doesn't date somebody else, she will have to date him? Do you just have I can fix him disease by proxy? <laughs> oh god, I think that's it. <laughs> and she takes the muffins over to Estelle and she's like, you should date Wilbur. And then it works and they go out on a picnic and then they have the worst smooch I've ever seen. Oh, oh my god. It is two people like with their heads straight on pecking their lips together. Let's also point out the fact that June Brigman can draw passionate smooches. We saw that earlier with Iris and Zach. This is the most sexless kiss. <laughs> And so to celebrate them getting back together, on December 18th of 2021, Wilbur brings over takeout barbecue again. No, for my... <laughs> Why? It can't be good. Everything gets too, like, room temperature. And Wilbur's like, let's go on a three-day cruise. Mary Worth will probably dog and cat sit. Obviously she does. But let's go on a three-day cruise together. And also, Mary Worth, by the way, like, look, every time these storylines have happened and it is not focused on Wilbur or Estelle, Mary Worth has been hanging out by herself thinking about how Estelle and Wilbur are a good couple who, like, improve each other. And it doesn't have to make sense because they have chemistry. Just trust me here. The narrative just seems to really hammer home this idea that these two are good together. Ugh. And look, we're coming in on the home stretch here. This is the, the last storyline. I told you all of that, all of the last hour and change, so you would understand what I'm about to tell you. Wilbur Weston is the worst <laughs> man in comics. That one thing you must remember, or nothing that follows will seem wondrous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's do this. On January 3rd, 2022, Will and Estelle are on the deck of the ship, enjoying the evening after ship karaoke, and Wilbur, in a fit of pique, proposes to Estelle. And, like, the look on his face is intense and manic. <laughs> they just started dating again. They just started dating again. 
And Estella's like, no, we just got back together. And Wilbur's like, but we can get married right now on the ship. It'll be just like Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Also, we're not getting any younger. Yeah, that's what you really want to say to a woman to convince her to marry you. (laughs) Yeah. And Estelle's like, I really, I cannot marry you. I'm not ready. And Wilbur fires back with the most mature adult thing to say, which is, fine, Estelle. Well, maybe I'm not ready to spend the rest of this cruise with you. And he stalks off. You're such a fucking child. You already booked a cabin together. Where are you going to sleep? No idea. He goes directly to the bar and Estelle's like, oh my God, fine. And just walks off in a huff. And then Wilbur spends hours getting drunk Friday, January 7th, 2022. Earlier this year, Wilbur returns to the deck railing and he is now sloshed as hell. Jim Brigman has drawn this man three sheets to the wind. His little comb over is askew. He is slurring his speech. And he says, after some drinks, I feel better already. I feel like I'm king of the world. Bet I could do Leo's pose, too. Just like in Titanic. Oh, Jesus. I don't even need Kate Winglet. (laughs) This is definitely how drunk people talk. Yes, this is absolutely how drunk people talk. And so, like, look, everybody who reads Mary Worth at this point, we're all thinking, like, (laughs) oh, man. Wilbur Weston's probably going to try to do an I'm King of the World thing and fall off the ship and drown. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Imagine if he did that. Oh, if only he would do that. (laughs) If only. But Karen Moy would never let that happen. And then. (laughs) And then. My dear friends. (laughs) Sunday, January 9th, 2022. We saved it for a Sunday strip. Wilbur. On the ship, says to himself, I asked her to marry me, and she said no. After some drinks, I feel better already. I feel like I'm king of the world. Because again, this is a Sunday strip. We have to recap. I bet I could do Leo's pose, too, just like in Titanish. I don't even need Kate Winglet. (laughs) Or Stell. And he climbs up on the railing. Look at me. I'm king of the... And then the final panel is Wilbur (laughs) falling off the side of the ship, saying, no! I think my favorite thing about this is that it starts with a quote from Robin Hitchcock, everything is a reaction, (laughs) which describes Twitter after this comic strip was released. Yes, everyone lost their shit. Listen, I essentially read Mary Worth in isolation. I enjoy it as a spectator. I occasionally talk about it on my socials, but I don't expect other people to really like also participate in this fandom, if you will. But suddenly half of my feed was screaming about Mary Worth, the soap <laughs> opera comic strip that has ostensibly just killed off Wilbur Weston, the worst man in comics. <laughs> Nobody knows what's happening. Can this be real? This goes against every kind of rule. We're finally getting what we want. Wilbur is dead. Surely he'll be found immediately. And Estelle will just like be, oh, yes, definitely. Let's get married. And things will keep getting worse. And then comes Monday, January 10th. Estelle has noticed that Wilbur is missing and goes to the front desk to page him. And the woman says, calling Wilbur Weston a guest services, Wilbur Weston. And then we cut to the ship. Far, far away in the background of this <laughs> shot, as in the foreground, some bubbles rise from the surface of the sea. <laughs> it says, please come to the guest services desk. <laughs> that ship is gone. 
<laughs> I, I fully understand now how someone could look at this and go, this man has died. <laughs> this man has died. That ship is so far away from those bubbles. <laughs> Incidentally, this happens rather frequently on cruise ships, which is why you should never get on a cruise ship. <laughs> People were like... Everybody was losing their shit. What does this mean? How can Wilbur... Like, there's no way you're coming back from that, right? Like... <laughs> on January 11th, Comics Kingdom, the digital platform for King Feature Syndicates, announced the Wilbur Weston Collection, which is a storefront that is still up and contains four items. One, a print of the Sunday strip of Wilbur falling overboard. Two, a print of the strip of Wilbur drowning far, far away from the cruise ship. Three, a t-shirt with a picture of Wilbur that says, where there's a Wilbur, there's a waiver. What? <laughs> and a mug bearing the same image and slogan. Fucking what? Were they running a Save Wilbur campaign? No. I just want to briefly note that I clicked on the poster and I just love, and I know this this is the same thing for all the posters, but somehow on this poster of him falling overboard and drowning, make a statement in any room with this framed poster is just delightful. <laughs> a statement. Yeah, that's, it'll definitely be that. This was done by T. She is someone who works at King Features slash Comics Kingdom and is like one of their people in charge. So definitely, I feel like she's the one who spearheaded the effort to make a web store of what if Wilbur Weston is dead? Good. Because it is so unclear how many people also agree that Wilbur is terrible that are like involved in the production of this comic strip. And like, we had this entire week of Estelle talking to the ship's crew. And you know, this is obviously operating not quite in real time, but obviously time keeps happening. Time keeps passing while Estelle is talking to the crew. She's like, hey, my boyfriend's missing. He never showed up. And they're like, okay, well, we'll slowly check all of the security cameras on the ship to see if we can find him. And eventually they find one of Wilbur falling overboard, at which time Estelle is like, oh my god, did he jump? So again, time keeps passing here. <laughs> During this week, I was doing things like Googling, how long can the average person tread water? <laughs> how fast can cruise ships turn around? Average cruise ship speeds in open water. The math was not looking good. <laughs> and you're just sitting there doing this going, please be dead. Please be dead. Please, please be dead. Please be dead. There's no way he can be alive, right? There's no way. There's no way. Like, again, the cruise ship is so far away from the bubbles on January 10th. No way. He's drunk. <laughs> and then, was Wilbur Weston dead? And that was the question for a solid week until we reached Monday, January 17th, 2022, a week later, as Estelle deals with the fact that Wilbur fell overboard and she has her head in her hands weeping in her room with the lights off. Wilbur washes up on an unfamiliar shore. The greatest betrayal in comics. <laughs> Aww, Wilbur should be dead. And like for a second there, we were like, man, what if that's his body? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Okay, but, but what if he's dead, though? They put a dead body in a newspaper comic, right? That's a thing you can do. <laughs> One of my friends at this point, a couple people had theories at this point that Wilbur would be alive, but he would do a castaway and not even the volleyball would love him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just giggling here at the panel that you put in. <laughs> Wilbur washes up on an unfamiliar shore. I shouldn't be alive, but I am. <laughs>
should not be alive. So Wilbur wakes up and he's alive. He should not be, but he is. And what's hilarious is that Wilbur immediately jumps to the exact same conclusion as everybody else, which is, oh my god, I'm stranded on a desert island. I'm all alone. At least Tom Hanks had Wilson to talk to. I have no one, not even a volleyball. Somebody help me. Jesus. <laughs> I also just want to say that I am furious that Wilbur got to keep his glasses. <laughs> How did those things stay on? Lost a shoe, kept the glasses. Lost a shoe, kept the glasses. So Wilbur whines about his situation from that one spot on the beach for three days. Let's point out that at this juncture, Wilbur has immediately woken up and then assumed that he is on a deserted island. He has not even, like, gotten up from that spot to walk around and see what's there, see if there's, like, a dock or something. <laughs> It's a three-day cruise. He can't be that far offshore. January 20th, we receive a far shot of the island where it is, in fact, pretty small, but also we can't see the other side of it. And Wilbur's immediately like, why did I drink so much? I shouldn't have fallen off the wagon. Why did I climb that ship railing? I'm no Leo DiCaprio. What am I gonna do for food? And then Wilbur, a rational man, decides that the only possible thing he could do right now, this instant, is to climb a tree and get a coconut. <laughs> How was Wilbur going to open the coconut? Don't know. I know. If we're going to keep pulling up Castaway here, we may recall that opening the f***ing coconut was a pretty big puzzle. Wilbur did not actually see the movie Castaway. He just saw the trailers for Castaway. Definitely did. So on Sunday, January 23rd, Wilbur slowly, painstakingly climbs to the top of a coconut tree, pulls up a coconut, and then finally bothers to look around the island from his high vantage point where he discovers <laughs> that's a bar. <laughs> There's a bar over there. <laughs> I probably could have heard them talking from like where I was on the beach. <laughs> he would have definitely heard the music from the beach. Yep. He's at a bar. He's like, am I on one of those private cruise islands? Yes, Wilbur has essentially landed on Disney's Castaway K. Oh, God. <laughs> the private island owned by Disney they exclusively use for their cruise ships. So Wilbur is not only not dead, but he's perfectly fine and he'll be able to get home safe soon and he will learn nothing. <laughs> Why? Why isn't he dead? Why isn't he dead? Why is he still alive? Why does God continue to bless Wilbur with life? <laughs> he has done nothing with it. And now the coup de grace. We jump back to Charterstone where a narration box tells us it's been a week since Wilbur realized where he was. Mary Worth sits in Wilbur's apartment, grieving the death of her friend along with Estelle and Dawn, who is back in the comic strip again. And all three of them are weeping for about half a week. Mary even at some point is like, the sea has claimed him. <laughs> Which is beautiful. That's fucking metal. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we're all grieving Wilbur Weston. We're wondering why this had to happen. And we get to live in this beautiful dream for a little bit that Wilbur Weston is dead. And then Thursday rolls around. January 27th, 2022. 
Mary consoles Don and Estelle. They're all crying. She's like, it's going to be okay. We'll get through this loss together. And then they all look up as someone says, hey, ladies. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> it has been a week. <laughs> it has been a week since Wilbur found civilization again. They don't think he's alive. That means he didn't call. He didn't call a goddamn person to say, hey, I'm alive and I'm uninjured. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I even got to keep my glasses. Jesus Christ. And then Sunday happens, the 30th, and it is beautiful <laughs> because everyone embraces Wilbur. They're so happy he's alive. Like, oh, thank God. It's so wonderful to see you. We thought you were dead. It's a miracle. And, you know, I'm just rolling my eyes at this point. And then there's a panel where it's like, after I fell overboard, I fortunately washed up on Great Roko Cay, a private resort island of Royale Cruise Lines. And Mary blinks and says, why didn't you call us? <laughs> oh, thank God. She also <laughs> thinks it's fucked up. Yeah. And Wilbur's like, oh, I wanted to surprise you. And all three women immediately oh the look of annoyance and fury on all their faces it's so good <laughs> they immediately get up and leave the apartment <laughs> oh for pete's sake dad that's it i'm done here says estelle <laughs> and wilbur is like ladies wait and then he sighs and says i'll never understand women oh god fuck this guy fuck this guy fuck this guy this panel of all of them being upset at Wilbur's actions is just, oh, it's, it's so, it's beautiful to me. Unfortunately, it's undercut because we go out to lunch immediately because they're all like, I need a drink. And Dawn gets an age appropriate beverage because I don't think she's 21 yet. <laughs> there is one beautiful comic here where it's like, Wilbur was on the private resort island of Royale Cruise Lines for a week and didn't call us because he wanted to surprise us. And this while we mourned his presumed passing. And Dawn says, I can't believe my dad would be that inconsiderate. And Mary and Estelle as one say, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, why do you keep insisting people date this man if you know he's fully capable of this shit? The worst part is that, like, that's the last good thing. The rest of the week, Mary is like, oh, well. Oh, well. Wilbur's alive. Forgive and forget. You know, let's, let's forgive him. He's our friend. And Estelle's like, I'm still mad at him, actually. And it's just, Mary, why? Nobody has to date Wilbur. He did something horrible. You don't have to immediately de-escalate the situation. People can be mad at Wilbur for not letting them know he wasn't dead. You can be mad at people for giving people the false hope that Wilbur might be dead. What if Wilbur was dead? What if Wilbur was dead? <laughs> what if Wilbur was dead? <sighs> but... At least they called Wilbur out for not telling his loved ones he was alive and partying on an island for a week, presumably. Because what the hell else was he doing for a week? It was a three-day cruise. He shouldn't be alive. <laughs> but he is. Uh... And this is Wilbur Wesson, the worst man in comics. I just, I hate him. I want him to die. I want him to drown. I want him. I want those gruesome bubbles on the <laughs> on the pages of the newspaper to be the last thing we ever saw of him. But he is still alive, and Estelle will probably keep dating him because she has no self esteem at this point. She deserves so much better, but she keeps making bad decisions over and over again. Iris is doing great. <laughs> 
as of this recording, it's May. Wilbur has been dormant for three months. That's the last storyline we've had of Wilbur for a while. And as I understand it, Karen Moy was also like, I need a Wilbur break. <laughs> and, you know, currently, Toby, Mary's friend, is having problems with a co-worker who carried a torch for her husband, Dr. Ian Cameron, and is trying to get Toby fired out of jealousy. It's fine. It's petering out. I hope the next one is weird. I mean, at this point, there's been so much Wilbur that I would take another six months of Saul Winter's opinion about how great it is to have a wiener dog named Greta. <laughs> it's mostly just him walking the dog and talking about how emotionally fulfilled he is because he has a dog named Greta that he dresses up in a bow tie. If not that, then I want Wilbur Weston to suffer. <laughs> I want him to die. Or at the very least, I want him to be alive so that he may suffer longer. <laughs> Wilbur Weston rarely ever suffers. Rarely does anything truly bad happen to him. He keeps bouncing back. He keeps coming back like a bad penny. Essentially, Karen Moy is edging me as a reader. <laughs> he keeps almost suffering. <laughs> and that's where I am with Wilbur Weston. He's the worst man in comics. And that's saying something, because there are really a lot of really terrible men in comics. There's a lot of so many bad men in comics. I just, this is the worst one to me. This is 10 years, at least, of this man being just a shit stain. <laughs> just a reprehensible person who keeps dragging down perfectly nice women with him. I'm glad Iris has her... Honky younger boyfriend. 25-year-old boy toy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy for Iris. Who's emotionally supportive? Estelle, I want you to find an emotionally supportive boy toy. Maybe a different hot vet. Yeah. Everyone except for Wilbur deserves love. I think that's basically where I stand with this. <laughs> and that's why I hate this character in Mary Worth, the newspaper comic strip. <laughs> and hopefully everyone else hates him now, too. <laughs> That was cathartic. That was. <laughs> yeah. So that's me. Uh, I think it's time for our final facts. I think it is. <laughs> Mackenzie, what's your final fact? If you like pina coladas and getting <laughs> caught in the rain, if you're not into yoga and you have half a brain, if you like making love at midnight in the dunes on the cape, you're a pretty generic person, honestly. I think most people like that except for maybe the making love on the dunes because fuck sand. <laughs> And you will f*** sand. Yes. Oh, you're only gonna f*** sand. Kit, what's your final fact? My final fact is I can fix him diseases real. <laughs> I and these people need our help. <laughs> Annie, what's your final fact? Although Kelrast had the right idea, Wilbur Weston. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's gonna do it for us. Yeah, I think that's this episode. That's going to do it for us here today. Join us next time when we will be discussing the very real and evergreen fact of you can just block people. <laughs> <laughs> you can just block people. We're going to be discussing a movie that is near and dear to my Mackenzie's heart, at least. It is Mackenzie's pig. A made-for-TV special about... A cyberbullying that played on, like, ABC Family, I think it still was at the time, called Cyberbully. Oh, God. <laughs> it's going to teach us some very real cool facts about, about... Internet use. About online harassment and internet use with Emily Osment. <laughs> 
Oh, it's going to be beautiful. (laughs) I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks. You can find us wherever you download podcasts. We are edited by Lucas Brown of the Math of You podcast. He is very patient with our nonsense, (laughs) especially the outros. If you would like to support us, a like, rating, review, subscribe, comment, wherever you find us is very nice. If you would like to talk to us on Twitter, you can do that at CRC Podcasts. You can tell us how much you like our stuff to me, and I will relay it to other people. It's fun to have fun. If you would like to support us with dollars, you can do that at patreon.com slash the gem jam, where for a dollar a month, you can get early episodes of I Will Fight You. At our $5 tier, you can also, particular to this show, get our show notes, which this one is going to have a bunch of Mary Worth comics in it, as well as stuff for all of our other shows like Gem Jammer and Date Me Damn It, all of which you can find on our website, crookedrussiancam.horse or crookedrussiancam.gay. They'll both take you to the same place. We call it the old dot gay horse. (laughs) So join us next time where we talk about the TV special Cyberbully. Until then, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Is that actually everything? Did I do it that time? Yeah. I think that that might be everything.